Welcome in another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we're going to have Mr. ACC, Brett Friedlander. He is a Blue Ribbon contributor, writes for SaturdayRoad.com, and uh, we'll talk to him about several topics, including MJ. We'll also talk about uh, is the demise of the ACC greatly exaggerated and a few more topics for Brett. So that's coming up in a few minutes here. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh man, it's it's been a little NBA draft and and some basketball movies, which prompted. Uh, I've read this Rolling Stone review on the on the totally unnecessary remake of White Men Can't Jump. Hollywood Hollywood tends to want to like better a classic movie or what? What is the purpose? If, right. If if there's a classic, if there's already a classic in the universe. Do you think you can do better? So I've also been studying the draft. Of course, uh, Victor Wimanyama is, is uh, the so-called unicorn. He makes Chet Holmgren look like a grade school player. He is unbelievable. Uh, Sam Bassini from The Athletic, whom I respect a great deal, and others say that he is the best prospect since LeBron James, period, exclamation point, end of story. So it's funny, I was reading a review about White Men Can't Jump, which the, the remake, which I just watched last night, and it was mildly entertaining it in, in, in parts, but nowhere near the original with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. So Rolling Stone's review had a great line, which I had to use because it, it totally encompasses what I've been doing lately. Great basketball movies are about as rare as unicorn prospects, <laughs> uh, Rolling Stone said. One recent exception is Hustle, about Adam Sandler trying to find a unicorn prospect. So, you know, I also watched Air recently, the story of the Air Jordan, which didn't feature too much <laughs> Michael Jordan, which we're going to talk about with, uh, with Brett later. But that Rolling Stone quote really sums it up for me. I've been studying the draft and and then had a few time to sneak in these recent basketball movies and basketball just, I don't know, Kevin, for whatever reason. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. It's a hard sport to get right on screen. And I don't remember many times it being done. Uh, Sandler's hustle is a, is a great recent example. Yeah. I like that one. My I thought favorite that was a good all movie. time. Oh yeah. Uh, hustle. I mean, um, uh, I, I think Hoosiers is my favorite all-time basketball movie, and I don't know the, the realism of that and the excitement that it meant for Indiana when it was one classification, a state championship. I don't know if, if, a, if a film like that can ever be duplicated, but uh, it, it's hard to, to do basketball right. And there, there are parts in both what, the recent White Men Can't Jump and Air that I enjoyed a lot, but – Geez, that's a it's a tough sport to get on film. I think any sport is really difficult to do right in a movie. I always say I like sports and I like movies, but I don't necessarily like sports movies. <laughs> that's um, a good yeah, that's a good line. But boxing seems to be one that maybe can be done. Uh, I'm thinking back to the Rocky films. Uh, I'm thinking back to Raging Bull. But uh, you know they've tried it with golf. Oh my gosh, uh, they tried. Uh, I was actually in a movie that, that, that wasn't bad, 42, the biopic of Jackie Robinson. 
as we film that picture, I, I say picture like I'm a big uh, <laughs> veteran actor or something. It seemed a little melodramatic as yeah. we were filming it, but it turned out okay on screen. But there's an original uh, Jackie Robinson biopic where he played himself, <laughs> which is free on on YouTube, which tells a lot. <laughs> I guess it's in the public domain now, but it is bad. Yeah. But it, it's just tough to do sports really well because unlike let's say a movie biopic where you can occasionally find an actor who can sing or a singer who can act it's tough to find an actor who can play ball it really is yeah or have a good golf swing or you know make a football scene that, that looks realistic yeah i'm i'm kind of a tough critic on, a on tight those things spiral, too exactly yeah, yeah it's, it's hard <laughs> it's hard to find people who can do those things that, that those are really interesting lines and comparisons uh when you talk about sports movies and the nba draft and know you've been uh, working hard on, on your draft preview material News from the uh, from the uh, college basketball transfer portal. Uh, I guess the big name is Caleb Love, no longer committed to Michigan, had left North Carolina for the Wolverines. So now what for him? And uh, he's obviously going to be the best player available in the portal now. A guy from the St. Louis area, averaging sixteen points and a couple assists last season in North Carolina. Yeah, I wonder about the fit with him. He's a high usage guy, and I don't know whether that was because. Uh, Hubert Davis just allowed him to be that way or, or whether he needs to be a high usage guy. I think at times uh, he can carry a team and at times he can shoot a team out. So he's definitely going to be a coveted uh, prospect. I know one team that would love to get him is Texas. Texas is looking for guards right now. Uh, they've actually got Tyron Lawrence in their sights, but so do a lot of other people, including Auburn. Uh, I know you saw Tyron a lot at at Vanderbilt uh, but just looking at some of these teams that are kind of it's getting late in the game and I don't know if panic is setting in but Michigan has won of course they lost Jet Howard uh, and Kobe Bufkin according to who you pay attention to both of whom could be lottery picks and then they also lost Hunter Dickinson to Kansas which is Kansas has cleaned up in the portal Texas I think is looking for guards that they've got at least two spots to give away and then your team, Vandy, what's going on there, dude? They lost, what, every starter? Uh, three big ones to the transfer portal, and I don't know that they've replaced that kind of talent level. Yeah, there have been – I don't know that I can comment officially, but I know there have been reports of a couple guys from the portal. Uh, they do have uh, a couple of the main guys coming back. Ezra Magnon, the starting point guard, and, and Colin Smith, who was a really talented freshman. And he, he was a starter at least part of the time, but played heavy minutes. So, um, yeah, I have a few guys coming back. I've been holding out hope that Tyron might decide just to, uh, to return to Nashville and play yeah. another season at Vanderbilt, so we'll see. But, yeah, definitely some uh, – pieces to replace uh, on the team and on the coaching staff for Jerry Stackhouse during this offseason. Uh, we talk about college coaches and maybe some mobility there. What about Hel- Kelvin Sampson, the uh, Houston head coach, reportedly interviewing for the Milwaukee Bucks vacancy. Now, he's a guy who's been in the NBA a bit. He was six years as an assistant, including three seasons with the Bucks. But, man, Kelvin Sampson's done a great job at Houston. Came back to the college game in 2014. They're going to go to the Big 12 next year, but he's taken them to a Final Four. They've had a lot of success in the tournament. Been a, a number one team uh, a lot of the, you know, the last couple seasons. But uh, would he potentially make that jump after the Bucks uh, fired Mike Budenholzer, who had actually won the NBA title there? Yeah, you know, it's scary if you're an NBA coach 
these owners have have itchy trigger fingers, man. It is crazy to me. You know, Philadelphia fires a Hall of Famer like Doc Rivers. Um, I don't get it. I, and I really, I think Calvin's uh, dalliance with Milwaukee, I think he owes them. They helped rehabilitate his career after he lost the Indiana job for what, in retrospect, seems like relatively minor transgressions, making a few too many calls to, to uh, prospects. But I know uh, Houston got a little little scary, and I think the, a according to the Houston Chronicle, maybe there's a, a new contract uh, in the works that would make him among the top 15 paid coaches in the game, which is a lot of shekels. And then he made this short comment to some media outlets, and I think on social media after his interview, can't wait to compete in the Big 12, go Cougs. So it would seem to be an odd time for him to leave, uh, especially because his son is coaching waiting there. Right. And because they're joining the Big 12. So uh, I don't know. It, it seems like maybe much ado about nothing, but certainly – he would be a good fit in Milwaukee, just as he's been a good fit at Houston and everywhere else he's been. Chris, our guest is always one we enjoy having. He is known as Mr. ACC. He is a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor, also writes for SaturdayRoad.com and does a great job with all of it. Brett Friedlander, what's going on? Uh, not much. You know, the ACC breaking apart with the Magnificent Seven and baseball and <laughs> basketball free agency. You know, we got a couple of things going on, but not much. <laughs> Brett, I always... Uh, like it when i i hear my phone ring and i look and i see that it's you calling because i know uh, you don't just call to say <laughs> what up you, you've usually got something cool to tell me or, or crazy to tell me and it seems last week you were in the in the course of doing some research about the national college basketball hall of fame particularly as it relates to some acc personnel uh including coach k Donnie Dawkins and Tyler Hansbro. And then you got to looking at Carolina players of, <laughs> of, of, of the past and made a startling discovery, uh, <laughs> which you shared with me. Uh, you mind telling us about that? Some guy named Jordan wasn't involved. I, I, somehow or another, you, you had, <laughs> you know, some really obscure players and, and, you know, some that I remember. But, I mean, you know, Zelmo Beatty is in it, but Michael Jordan is not. Uh, yes. so what the heck? So I had to do a little bit of research. Yeah. I, had, I had to, you know, I, I called you, I called Mike DeCourcy, uh, with the sporting news. I called Steve Kirshner at UNC, who is the ultimate authority on UNC history. And nobody seemed to know. So I called the national collegiate, uh, basketball hall of fames directly, talked to their CEO, Kevin Henderson. And he told me that the reason Michael Jordan is not in their hall of fame is because Michael Jordan told them. He doesn't want to be in their Hall of Fame. Wow. <laughs> that was so crazy because you had, you had made me remember a story when Blue Ribbon came out with its 25th anniversary, and we picked a team coach and player of our first quarter century. And, of course, MJ had to be the player. Yep. And I almost had to give away my second born to get a photo <laughs> of, of MJ. And it's then that I found – how jealously he guards his image uh, to the point of, you know, he's probably got a team of lawyers that do nothing but want to bust on you. And I remember telling you how odd it was watching that movie air 
uh, the recent movie about the Air Jordan, and MJ barely shows up. You, you see yeah. his back. You never see his face. And I wonder if, if that's part of it. But it it's definitely he protects his image more than any athlete I've ever seen. I'll give you another example of that. Um, in the process of trying to ask Michael why he um, doesn't want to be in the Hall of Fame, um, I reached out to someone who has a direct contact, uh, a former uh, co-worker of mine who was a, fr a fraternity brother of, of Buzz Peterson and who's really still yeah. good friends with uh, Jimmy Black and, and, and James Worthy. And he reached out to all of those guys and none of them had an wow. answer. And I'm pretty sure that they've been sworn to secrecy. So uh, yeah. the best we can tell is that Michael just, you know, he's he's very protective of his, you know, of, of his image and his likeness, <clears throat> and uh, and all, and others profiting off of it. And the other thing is, <clears throat> I think Michael uh, doesn't like to be thought in in the past tense, and by going into another Hall of Fame or by any Hall of Fame, it, it it does that. It lends to that. And if you go back. Uh, he really did not want to go into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame back in, I believe it was 2009. Um, yeah. And a former teammate with the Bulls, B.J. Armstrong, had to twist his arm and, and, and you know, and talk him into it. And he even asked B.J., um, hey, you know, it, the rule is you have to be retired for five years. If I become activated and get into a game for one possession – does that start the clock again? Because he just <laughs> didn't want to be in the Hall of Fame. But, but he finally went off. But he finally relented, and if you remember, his his acceptance speech was really kind of embarrassingly, you know, uncomfortable because yeah. it's like he flamed everybody, including former teammates and friends and everything. So, I, I don't know. Made for a good column, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so crazy. It seems as though the the demise of of the ACC, as Kevin said earlier, has been greatly exaggerated. I've had some people tell me. Oh, they're doomed. You know, they can't last much longer. To which you offered some uh, some rebuttal. L let's talk about that. All right. Well, I mean, it's it's fun to speculate. I even did a column as to the most likely landing spots for all these teams if the ACC breaks up. But it's it's clickbait. It, it's absolute clickbait. And anybody who says it's not <laughs> is is just either lying or delusional. Because here's the thing. Yeah. The ACC is staying together as long as the grant of rights holds. And I'll, I'll give you the, the, you know, the, the best example I can find as to why that grant of rights is going to hold. Actually, I'll give you two. First of all, the whole Magnificent Seven thing. Kudos to them for trying to find ways of, of getting out of this thing and, and doing their own thing. And they can have lawyers look at it. But I guarantee you, each of those schools separately has had lawyers looking at this thing for over a year. And if they haven't found it out yet, they're not going to. That's number one. Number two, look at the uh, the whole Texas-Oklahoma thing. If they didn't have an ironclad grant of rights with the Big 12 that they have absolutely no way of getting out of, they would already be playing as members of the SEC. The reason they're still in the Big 12 till the end of this year is because that grant of rights is holding and they can't get out until it expires at the end of this year. So those two things tell me that unless something drastic happens between now and 2036, the ACC is going nowhere. And, you know, if you look in at the, you know, the, the, the one out clause that they have, if they can find eight members to vote to just, you know, to dissolve the ACC, 
yeah, maybe, you know, the, the Magnificent Seven only needs one more. And everybody says, hey, Louisville, you know, is, is the most obvious one. But here's the problem with that. And, and I give you another example. Uh, remember when um, Jim Phillips uh, had this alliance with the Big Twelve, uh, uh, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 to kind of, you know, to to combat the whole Big Two monopoly? Remember how fast that thing dissolved? Right. Because alliances are great until it comes to a situation where every man has to, you know, fend for himself, and then you know it breaks up. So it's it's one thing to say, yeah, we're all you know committed to this, we're all together, but if you're Virginia or Virginia Tech, or NC State, and you don't have a guaranteed landing spot if this thing blows up, are you really going to be in this alliance till the end? And are you really going to let them call your bluff? Because I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's those three teams, along with Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and Miami, uh, that were part of that that seven. Uh, one more on this. Did, did All that said, did you feel like the show of unity at the league meetings, though, was just maybe putting a bit of a happy face in the situation? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the press conference with Jim Phillips, he said all the right things, but I, I, he's been such a weak leader for the ACC since he took over. Uh, you know, it's it's just one thing after another. The alliance is one thing. Um, you know, the whole, you know, gated community speech that he gave, um, you know, th- where he's, Jim, let's move forward. Th- those days are over. Uh, it, you know, it, 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 just, it just didn't, it wasn't a good look because everybody knows, yeah, we're all together. Yeah, we're all together as long as that that piece of paper holds. And for those who don't know what the grant of rights is, what it means is that if you want to leave the ACC, all these teams have signed this thing, so they're bound to it. So if you want to leave, you're going to have to pay $120 million right off the top as an exit fee to get out. But that's not the only thing because that's doable. If you're going to go to the Big Ten or the SEC and you're going to make more money over the course of the next 13 years – but by signing that that document, the, all those teams of the ACC have now given their all their media rights to the ACC, even if they're not in the ACC. So basically, if you're going to leave, you pay $120 million off the top, and then you play the next 13 years without getting a penny for your media rights on your home games. So you're playing for yeah. free. So it's just not worth it. I want to ask you one more basketball Thanks. question. Uh, how remarkable was Miami's run to the Final Four looking back on it with Jim Laranega? And how much also was it a sign of the times with key transfers and the NIL money that's in play and all those things? Well, it was both. It was remarkable, but it was not all that surprising. I mean, this is a team that finished, what, uh, one game out of the ACC, uh, you know, winning the regular season. So it was a good team all the way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it didn't just catch fire. It wasn't like a you know, uh, a St. Um, Peter's know, Francis's team or St. Peter's. <laughs> I mean, this is a team that was a good team in a, in a very balanced season to begin with. So Are you talking about Loyola Chicago? Sorry. Yeah. Loyola Chicago. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but um, <laughs> funny that I just remember the sister Jean and the team, <laughs> but, um, but, but no, I mean, so it was a good team. And Jim Laranaga is a Hall of Fame coach. And he, he's not just no yet he's going to be within the next couple of years. So there's that. But yes, it is a, tr- it is a tribute to, you know, you want to talk about trying to live in the past and, and, and play by the old rules or say, look, I don't like it, but these are the new rules. Let's adapt to them. Jim Laranaga, new, you know, old dog learning new tricks. And, and it worked out great. And oh, by the way, uh, Norshad Omir and Nigel Pack have both withdrawn from the draft and are back. Uh, and so this is a team that I think, 
you know, Duke will probably be picked number one uh, in the ACC and maybe even in the country uh, because of all of their returning players. But Miami is going to be number two because they're a Final Four team that returns everybody basically except for Jordan Miller, and and they've already replaced him with a transfer and uh, and and uh, Isaiah Wong. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's it, it's it was a great story, but it's also a you know framework on how to build a championship team. Brent, how do you think Carolina has used the portal this? this particular cycle and how do you think Hubert Davis is, is stacking up as a head coach? I mean, there are those who say that the real fluke was not last year, but the fluke was the year before yes. when they got into the final four. What do you think? Where do you think the truth lies? I think the truth lies somewhere in between. And I think it was the fluke that they, that they got to the final four. If you look, they had one good month or maybe a month and a half uh, and they reverted back to form last season. Hubert Davis is a, is a work in progress. He's learning on the job. I mean, he's a guy who, unlike um, uh, John Shire, did not have that full season to kind of groom and, and and be ready for this thing. Uh, and I, I honestly believe he was groomed from this from the start with, with Kay. Uh, so he's really kind of gotten thrown into this thing. And uh, he's still learning. And if it wasn't for that final four and, and an argument could be made that that was the worst thing that could have happened to him because it really jacked up the expectations. Uh, you know, if, if he would have had that first season, got into the, to the, to the tournament, even made it to say the Swick sweet 16, or even like, like Shire's first year, got to the final eight, uh, the expectations would have been tempered and we would have seen progress and, you know, and, 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 and we'd be thinking about this differently. So, he's done a good job retooling this thing. I, I think he had to, to clean house because again, the comparison with Shire Shire basically had that full season to go out and recruit his own team built the way he wanted to play. And, and it was, it was basically his players loyal to him. Hubert inherited the entire team from Roy basically. And so now he's got a team full of his own players with with Baycott and and RJ Davis as the exceptions and and both of those guys are team guys and so I think you know a, a nice place to start but he's built it around now some a couple of good uh, freshmen and a lot of transfers so let's see because bringing in highly ranked transfers is not always the, the answer I, I I give you Pete Nance who was the number one yeah. most sought after transfer and yet you look. 30 miles down the road and DJ Burns and, and Jarkel Joyner, who nobody even, you know, gave a second notice to <laughs> yeah. this yeah. summer turned out to be much better, you know, additions. So we don't know how it's going to all mesh, how it's going to turn out, but he's given himself a chance. So let's, let's see how much he has grown over those two years. Brett Friedlander is our guest. This is a basketball show, but I'm going to ask you a baseball question to finish All up. Right. Uh, how has Wake Forest built a program that's looking likely to be not only the top seed for the ACC tournament, but the top seed nationally when those are announced next week? Well, Tom Walter has done a really good job. And if you look at their their trajectory, this is not just a boom. They, you know, they've, they've been getting to this point uh, over the course of a couple of years. I think it was uh, – it was either 2019 or 2021 that they made it to a super regional and, and had you know uh, Florida on the ropes in the deciding game of that to get to Omaha. So this is not something that's just snuck up on us. They've always had a great hitting team. And in that ballpark, they hit a lot of home runs. Yeah. 
but the and, and they've always had a decent pitching staff. They've always had like one or two guys. Jared Schuster, who just pitched a great game for the Braves yesterday, uh, is a Wake Forest product. <clears throat> and they've got Rhett Lauder, who's going to be a first-round pick this year. But the difference is the depth of their pitching. They've got the top four earned run averages in the ACC going into the postseason. Huh. And uh, it, it's a very balanced ball club. Um, here's the thing, though. They're going into the ACC tournament uh, this weekend as the number one seed and really the odds on favor to win this thing. But it's been since 2013 that a team seated fourth or higher has won the ACC tournament. So crazy things always happen in this thing. So uh, keep an eye on, on the bottom of the bracket rather than the top here, because <laughs> while, while Wake Forest and Clemson, who has won, I believe 12 straight going into the final uh, the, the um, postseason, those are the teams that right now are the favorites. Something's going to happen. <laughs> well, if you want to talk about the ACC, this guy's always the number one seed. Brett Freelander, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for inviting me. That was Brett Friedlander. He is a Blue Ribbon contributor. He writes for SaturdayRoad.com and a guy known as Mr. ACC. Chris, I don't know that there's ever been anybody who knows more about the Atlantic Coast Conference and the history of it and <laughs> you know where the skeletons are and all those things than, than Brett does. Boy, he is just a, a wealth of information. And it's not just the big two sports. So you just heard him talk about baseball. He he's passionate about baseball. I know the Division Two tournament is played near his home in North Carolina every year, and he's he gets hired by a bunch of papers to cover for that. And he works his tail end off, but uh, loves every second of it. You know, he just loves baseball. You know, I I think we've talked about this on the show before, but. He wrote uh, a book about the, the real Moonlight Graham mm -hmm. that was featured in Field of Dreams. So this guy is a historian uh, and a lover of baseball, just as he is basketball and football. Do you write about the part where they, they stopped by in the uh, the VU microbus and picked him up uh, on the way back to Iowa? <laughs> I, I think he must have missed that part. But uh, <laughs> really was a Moonlight Graham, and he really did become a doctor. So, uh, And he had his little uh, cup of coffee, as they say, in the, in the bigs. Yeah. So that book is still for sale on Amazon if anybody wants to pick it up. One of the more fun things I've done since I've worked at Vanderbilt, they they had a movie night a couple of years ago at Hawkins Field where after a baseball game, you know, fans could just go sit on the field and watch a baseball movie on the big screen. And they, they did Field of That's Dreams. Cool. And they asked me if I would do a recreation of the famous James Earl Jones speech of, you know, the dipped in magic waters and, and the whole thing. And so, oh, wow. so I did the whole scene and uh, they, they made a – sort of a promo out of it for for their movie night and it was really fun like i had so much fun just just doing those lines i, I enjoyed the dipped in magic waters part so much i did that one about five times even though it didn't really need to but um yeah i, I <laughs> what i what i did was i i um you know found that clip from the movie you know baseball yeah. was, you know mark the, you the never time. told me about this gig man so anyway i i found that clip from the movie and i would play i i watched it several times and then i uh would would play a segment of it and then i would record my part then i play another segment of, of james earl jones to terrence man and uh you yeah. know, just did it that way and uh, it, it was so fun the, the whole thing came out really cool i have to send you the clip of that but it, it was neat please do uh that, that is a great scene uh in my mind surpassed only by when Doc Graham, as player, crosses the line to save the little girl uh -huh. who is choking to death on, <laughs> on a hot dog, knowing full well he gives up his baseball dream. I, that that gets me verklempt every time. <laughs>
I'm not ashamed to admit it. And then Timothy Busfield uh, becomes a believer right there on the spot. So. Hey, exactly. <laughs> when did that baseball field get here? When did those uh, players get here? Speaking of baseball, uh, speaking of baseball, I know that you uh, love baseball as, as much as Brett does. Um, and you, you've had a lot of fun over the years covering the SEC tournament where you're headed now. Uh, what is that like? I never had the pleasure of covering that event. I know it's often rain plagued, but uh, <laughs> what is covering that event like? It's really a great event, and you're right. The weather seems to to play a role in it almost every year. Now, it's funny. I'd never been myself until just the last couple seasons uh, going and covering it with Vanderbilt and, and, and doing some games there at, at Hoover, at the Hoover Met, where they've had it for years. Uh, it, it's a great setting, and that's a great setup, too. They have a lot of room for fans to, to tailgate, and they, they built this pavilion you know, with a lot of games and stuff for, for kids that come. But uh, you can see some great teams. Uh, everybody's there, and you know a lot of these SEC teams, just like in other sports, they have rabid fan bases for baseball. But as with everything the Southeastern Conference does, it's first class and really well done. And yeah, looking forward to being down there this week. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, after some stumbles here in the last few weeks, came off the mat to win two out of three against Arkansas over the weekend. And uh, they'll be the fourth seed, so that means you play the late game on Wednesday night. And with weather and extra inning games and trying to squeeze in four games in one day, I always joke that that means your uh, projected start time is around 1.30 a.m., Hopefully it won't be that bad. I looked at the weather forecast. Keep your fingers crossed. It looks like it's going to be okay for this week. Last year was really bad. There was the the early days of the tournament. It starts on Tuesday. Uh, there was a lot of rain, and I I think, and I don't think I was the only one. Uh, There's a lot of question whether they were going to be able to get all the games in and would have to come up with some sort of contingency plan, but. Somehow the rain held off enough, and they did enough work on the field to to get it all in. So they they do a great job with it. You know, it's a it's a dirt and, and grass field, so you you have to you know it takes a lot more care than playing on turf fields. Uh, the one that Vanderbilt has, and a lot of teams in the SEC, they have turf fields now that that save you so many games because of the weather that you get. You know, late winter, early spring when when uh, the baseball season's going on. But yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, I will be down there uh, for for the games on Wednesday and Thursday with Vanderbilt, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Chris, we have uh, gone to a concert since. Uh, we did our last podcast. Uh, was down there a week yes. ago Saturday, and uh, we had a lot of fun. We went got a meal, and then we saw Robert Plant and Allison Krauss, uh, their concert in Chattanooga. It was just a terrific show. It was an interesting mix of iconic voices. You know, Robert Plant, if you're making a, a Mount Rushmore of lead singers in rock and roll, uh, he's certainly on it. And if you're making a Mount Rushmore oh, yeah. of bluegrass folks, Allison Krauss is, is definitely on that one, too. And he, had, sure. and he had songs that came from a little bit of everywhere, whether it was Led Zeppelin or Everly Brothers or one that, ones that they had done on their own. I, I just thought it was terrific, and I, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it, it was a really cool show. I knew you'd like it. That was the second time I've seen them. They uh, toured. They did a they did a record. Gosh, it's it's already been 15 years. It it just blows me away how how fast a decade and a half can get behind you. But they did a record tried another one robert just wasn't feeling it and and admittedly robert can do whatever he wants you know i don't know what his net worth is but he's not worrying about his next meal uh and and he doesn't want to stay trapped an interviewer once asked him uh have you definitely put the kibosh on led zeppelin and robert started snoring that was his answer (laughs) yeah he doesn't care about that he doesn't want to go back in the past kind of like uh Brett Friedlander said about Michael Jordan, the past doesn't interest him. So he's always looking for challenges. And 
he met Allison Krauss at some event and somehow they got hooked up with T-Bone T Burnett, uh, who, who helmed the old brother, where art thou soundtrack and all the recording sessions. And it's just a, a musical walking encyclopedia. And between what both those artists, Robert and Allison, um, you know, Allison grew up listening to rock and roll. So between what the both of them just personally liked as fans, uh, they cobbled together hundreds of songs. And yeah, you're right. To, to see them play, just to see them walk out there is, is pretty cool. I know some some kids who are um, barely teenagers, friends of my daughter's, who uh, got their parents to take them just so, so they could see the two of them. And, yeah. you know, anytime you get a chance to see icons, you, you got to go. But yeah, I, I loved when they d did the Zeppelin songs and and uh, they did Evermore. And my personal favorite, When the Levee Breaks, that is such a weird, the one thing I noticed different uh, that I hadn't noticed about Allison in the past, when she plays that fiddle, it just sounds different than anybody else. It's louder uh, without trying to be loud, and it has soul. Um, when you are a Mount Rushmore artist, you just do that. You just flick that stuff off effortlessly. So it was great. Uh, we got to do more of that. I know we've seen Hall and Oates uh, at the Ryman, but now that this pandemic is getting the heck out of here, um, we got to put it back on the schedule, dude. We'll do it for sure. And it, it was cool. Like, and to hear her singing those high parts in the Battle of Evermore was really neat. And, and hearing, I had never seen Robert Plant. I, you know, grew up listening to Led Zeppelin. Uh, my uncle was, was way into all those rock bands. And so uh, we listened to a lot of Zeppelin growing up. But to hear him sing some of those parts in those songs, it was, it was really, really neat. But uh, it's, he's still got it. He's still got it. He sounded great. Yeah, his he's, voice sounded awesome. He's taking good care of his voice. So mm -hmm. A lot of those... Uh, old rock and rollers they lived hard you know the strong drink the drugs the smoking uh you know staying up late but robert is taking care of his voice and he's just a musical explorer he pioneered the art of bringing world music into the rock and roll canon and um he's just a remarkable artist and allison i've just loved her ever ever since i first heard about her she's awesome that was a lot of fun, and uh, so was doing our podcast as it always is. Chris, I'll catch up with you soon, man. Yeah, have fun at the SEC baseball tournament, buddy. Will do. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.